0: we have we have no agenda other than getting to know you okay so this is it's this oh, is it about episode.
1: me i thought was going to talk about mind shift no,
0: the episode is going to be john gordon that's okay. what it's titled yeah. one truth it'll actually just, it'll just happen to be about
1: the great mind shifts you made
0: in your life right i like that but actually i left so where i stayed in london i stayed in a plate my friend's place and when as i when i left i left her two books after my mind shift uh galley and i left her your book the one true. And she she FaceTimed me like last week and was like, thank you so much for leaving me books. Like it was like, it's my love language. Uh, that's like awesome. very sweet. So I think cool. she's, she's excited. That's cool. Exciting. Yeah. Yeah. All right, okay. So for
2: everyone who doesn't know you as well as we know you, you're John Corden. Yep. John, how many books have you read?
1: 28 books.
2: 28. Over how long?
1: 2007, The Energy Bus came out. So okay. I wrote that in 2006. Wow. And that was your first book? That was my first
2: book. And I, you would normally just say this, but how many copies of The Energy Bus are out in the world right now?
1: Over three million sold is what I oh
2: Over Three million, <coughs> three million. <coughs> sold? Yes. Over three that's million incredible. sold. incredible. And yeah. out of those three million, how many of those do you think were read? <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, that's messed <laughs> up. That's, messed yeah, that's up. a great. Oh, that's okay. a great question, right? Because there's like these 7 habits of highly effective people say everyone bought the book not I everyone read, read book, the book no i did read it and I, I read it, read it as well
2: yeah, yeah. This 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 conversation can be a little bit different. It's going to be like in between two ferns, because John because, is one of no. I'm here, the here to keep the, peace. the world. I'm so, here to keep the peace.
0: So I'm going to be a little more sarcastic. Have a little more fun. <laughs> you, you were you were you were quite literally like. <laughs> it, it always give me a hard time. It's good. <laughs> you it's were good. like best friends. Would you guys consider each other best friends? I would. You, I you would still, say he's my best friend. Yeah. yeah. I would say that too. Yeah. I was like, I if he first. just I, left you hanging. No, I no, the too. truth is, I said it first. You did. I
2: told John he was my best friend. Yeah. And he was shocked. And then he felt like it's like an I love you without a response. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: And then Paulo jumped
2: in on the group text and was. (laughs) He's also our best friend. We're we're expanding our friends. Right. 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 But but no, I would say that um, because, you know, that phrase is used loosely. I would say John is the most consistent and trustworthy friend I've ever had.
0: You really are. Yeah.
1: He just shows
2: up. Yeah. I, you know, that's the way you know who your friends are. They just show up.
1: I was telling a friend the other day about you, and what you said was that I kept showing up. Yeah. I kept being your friend. And one day you said, because a lot of people have let you down in the past, and one day you said, you know what? He keeps showing up. I guess I have to be his friend. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. And, well, but well, how? how? Cause, because being, someone being your best friend shouldn't be about your emotions, it's about their showing up.
1: Right. Yeah.
2: Like, you know, I, I want to be. A, a really trusted friend to people. Right. I want to be the
0: guy who shows up. Yeah, well, I want to, you know, that people can depend on. This isn't what I thought we would, how we'd start this, but I actually really like this. How important yeah. is friendship to you as you guys, like, cause I think growing up, you know, you, you're born into family relationships. Then you have your friends from, you know, you know, grade school to like high school. And then you have friends in college and those tend to last a long time if you make good friends. But then making friends as an adult, is a different world. You guys met 10, 15 years ago.
1: Over 15 years ago. Over
0: 15 years ago.
1: So I think it's a great point to talk about mind shift because one of the big mind shifts in my life, the biggest mind shift in my life came about because of your dad. I was struggling in my life. I was fearful. I was negative. I was having a lot of challenges. And I started to question and start to ask, is there a God? And is Jesus real? And when I heard your dad's sermons, why I follow Jesus, it really spoke to me for the first time. I mean, it really just... Jesus came to life in my heart during that time. And it shifted my mind. That was the ultimate mind shift. And I'm wearing the shirt the One Truth and I was thinking about this coming here. There's no one truth without the mind shift from your dad and the conversations we had along the way. So he started as a teacher to me, a stranger, And now the fact that we're best friends, you know, is wild when you really think about it. it. This guy leads you to Jesus, changes your life, gives you the ultimate mind shift, which again, the book is called Mind Shift. And I was thinking about like mind shift, how perfect that he shifted my mindset. And then over the years, I made the decision as we got to know each other, that I was going to be his friend and I was going to also show up. Like I knew that there were people that I think took him for granted. There were people that he gave so much to, and I believe so many people learned from him, but never gave him the credit that he deserved. Along the way, I said, no, I'm gonna give him credit. I'm gonna let people know the influence he had in my life, and I'm gonna just show up every day and show him what a great friend is like. But the ironic thing about that is I was not always a great friend. Hmm. So I was the guy who was like a great player, for instance, you know, in sports, but I was focused on me, like I wanted the score, I wanted to win, I wanted the the recognition. So I wasn't a great teammate in many ways. I was a great teammate in terms of showing and leading by example, but not the selfless guy that was always concerned about everyone else. So I look back on that and as I got older and became a follower of Jesus, I really started to focus more on relationships and being different. So my college friends have seen a difference. My friends who I just interact with all the time have seen a difference. And then ultimately, during COVID, I think was really, for many, was the great separator. For me, it was the great uniter. That's when we really started to talk a lot and spend a it's lot true. of time. And that's when we became, like, I would say best friends. We weren't best friends yeah, before yeah. COVID, but after COVID, we became best friends.
2: One of the funny things, I have to interject this. <laughs> One of the funny things Go. is that it, you and me and um, our friend Paulo Lima and and Milet, I yeah. think we're together at... I think it was New York or somewhere like that. And somewhere in there, Ed Milet actually asked you, how many friends do you have in, you live in, I won't be specific, but Northern Florida. Yeah, And you've lived in that same city for how many years?
1: For over 18 years now, actually no, 20 years. And you told him, how many friends do you have there? I said, I didn't have a lot of great friends there because I've been on the road all the time traveling. Actually,
2: I'm gonna hold you accountable. You said zero. and and ed ed moved to the same place where you live and he was trying to think through whether he'd make friends and he said john you have zero friends Right, right you know over 20 years there and the reality is that friends friendships do not happen by accident right and proximity doesn't create friendships
0: friendships actually happen through intentionality i got you john i got you john uh how many friends do you have from the neighborhood i grew up in which neighborhood? Because we moved a lot. No, no, <laughs> we moved two pivotal times in that town. We're, how many friends did you have that weren't a part of Mosaic? Zero. Zero. <laughs> so I'm just saying, but because you, I don't I feel so bad judging, now. I was just describing. You are oh, just uninterested. That's how I would describe.
1: Well, the funny thing about that, though. Ed was like, Whoa, you have no friends in your hometown? And again, I do have people who <laughs> would I consider acquaintances you have friendships and with. friendships. So yeah, I don't wanna yeah. if those people listen, I don't want them to think I'm not yeah, their no, no, no. But when Ed said, Hey, can you get some people together? I got a group of like really great people together for Ed to meet when he came to visit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's and I was like, all right, I'd see I do have some friends. <laughs> and you know what? After that breakfast we had with these guys, yeah. I was like, these are great guys. How would I have not spent time with them to get to know them? And and yeah. we've become better friends ever since that That's breakfast. Funny. And I realized, wow, these guys are amazing. I was not making time. I became a speaker. I have little kids. I'm going from place to place. So I'd come home, it was my wife yeah, and my yeah. kids and then I was on the road again. So there was no yeah. time for friendships yeah. in many ways. Yeah. It's this- a different
0: it's a different lifestyle, especially being yeah. the son of someone whose life was very similar. It was like yeah. I think you felt very drawn to be at home when you were home. Everyone in LA came to you to our house because you were like I'm I'm gone from Wednesday night to like mm-hmm. sun to Saturday night. Right. You know, multiple times a month, I want to see my family. And then when I'm gone, I'm gone. And those are my road friends, and that's the whole thing. So I do think it's a unique life that both of you have lived. But yet, you have adult friendships that I find so unique as well.
2: Yeah, I had an interesting personal insight this week. It's funny how you write a book, and then later you get an insight that should have been in the book. (laughs) Oh, yeah, happens all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, but I can't go back and interject it, so I can only talk about it. But because someone was asking me, and they used the phrase, it's lonely at the top. Um, do you have any friendships? You know, having achieved so much in your life, and I said, I have more friends now than I've ever had in my whole life, and better friends now than I've ever had in yeah. my life. And I had this insight: whenever you're elevating, that's when you feel a loss of friendships, mm. or maybe you can actually be alone in the world, because the friends you had no longer feel connected to you because you're elevating as a person, mm. and you and the and the friends you will have. They're, still not, they're not inviting you into their friend circle because you haven't arrived yet, right? in a sense. And so you're almost in this twilight zone of the people that once knew you feel disconnected from you and the people that will know you don't feel connected to you. I do think there are transitions in success that demand extreme aloneness. Mm. And you have to fight your way through and almost like rebuild the friendship group because right now in my life, I'm having a blast, not just in what I'm doing in work and not just getting to run a business with Aaron, uh, but you and like, we have a crew of people that we just get to do life with, it's fun.
1: That is fun. And I was thinking about that, too. Like, we play pickleball. Mm -hmm. We battle. We compete. A bunch of 50-, 60-year-olds, 40-year-olds all competing and just battling. It's it's having fun. So aggressive. Very aggressive. Tearing Tearing hamstrings. Yeah, tearing (laughs) hamstrings and the injuries. But at the same time, like, we're doing what we love. And also then getting together, having meals, talking, taking trips, going places. My wife was even like, wait, you're going with your friends again? Like, you never did anything like
2: this. (laughs) That's the same thing with Kim.
1: She's like, what? You're going to go do what? And I go, yes,
0: I'm, we're going to play. I feel like, you know. Oh, I, I just tell, I don't tell, I just, oh, it's work. I just call it anything that's, I just call it work.
1: So I'm going to invest in John. Yes, yes, yes. I like that. And Aaron, I think a big part of it too is recognizing the importance of of relationships, like that we really do need other people and that they are valuable. During COVID, I realized, wow, I really do need these kind of connections and relationships. And spending time like we did during that time, I came alive. I just felt more excited about life. Yeah. We were sharing ideas back and forth. We all grew in so many yeah. ways Like we all took ideas. And I think even just lessons from each other's lives and became better because of that.
2: Yeah. Well, in your book, One Truth, you actually talk a lot about um, separation and togetherness or connection and, and you, you know, you talk about both from a profoundly like spiritual level in terms of your relationship with God, but also from the spiritual level of your relationship to people. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah,
1: you know, when you're connected to other people and there's a there's a connection between us. Even mm-hmm. when we're having a conversation mm-hmm. and there's a connection going on, our hearts actually start to synchronize. And so there's entrainment. They start to beat as one. Mm-hmm. So we really are meant to be connected in that way. But when you work with a team, which I do often, a team that's united and connected is a powerful team. A team that is separate and divided is a very weak team. Relationships, when you are in a really meaningful relationship, we heal in a loving relationship. Mm-hmm. And so through the love of others and the connection with others, that's how we heal. We're better together. And then together we accomplish like great things. Like I don't think you can do great things alone. Like everyone needs a, a great team. If you think about yeah. what you've accomplished in your life, you mm-hmm. all had a team, like even this podcast has a team to make it happen. So that's the practical level of of connection and oneness. Now oneness doesn't mean sameness. Mm-hmm. You need people on the team who think differently. Sometimes they act differently. You might disagree with your team. That's all part of the journey, but the oneness of a team that comes together with one mission, one purpose, one focus, they become a powerful team.
2: Yeah, unity and uniformity are not the same. Oh, as, that's good, yeah. yeah.
0: You, you, you talk about teaming, but you one of the special things that I, that I find really unique about what you do is that you speak to a lot of coaches and teams all over the country. Yeah, what, you, you actually speak to them. You actually right? speak to them. But, jeez. You know, so, just, so, just already you know, layers we, of beef we, that is- We live is, in
2: this coaching performance yeah. world and there's so much smoke. Yeah. I'm just gonna say that. Yeah. But you're actually fire.
1: I appreciate <laughs> that. There is a lot of smoke and mirrors in this world. Oh, I work with this team, work with that team. I talk yeah. to that team. But, but yeah, I work with a lot of teams and that's been, been exciting. A lot of a lot of coaches, a lot of yeah. head coaches. What team do you,
2: do you feel like you've spent the most time with?
1: definitely clemson
2: 12 of course, years you're, you're so biased for clemson. But 12 yes. years but well, there's every client, year done training there's, camp there's going to be a clemson unc football game and we will not be on the same side no we will not
0: but, <laughs> but at can the same we go time, to the same game together <laughs> that would actually be fun it's, it's, i
1: do love mac brown though. it's near the end of the year yeah, i know i, I thought, love hey, mac we brown. should go to that game together that would be fun it's It'd so fun. hard that, that, like that last be. year i spoke to texas and ou rivals oh, both. Wow. And so I couldn't even go to the game working right. with both teams, knowing both coaches and really loving both coaches, yeah. I couldn't even go. So this year I only spoke to three teams. So awesome. do the, wait,
0: hold on. Is it a conflict of interest for you? Like, does it become like a little bit like, how do you, because obviously on teams you become fans of people and mm-hmm. then you root for those teams. You know, I know you're a diehard Clemson fan. I know you're, you're, your kids you bleed orange. Clemson. But But how do you manage that line? Because I imagine it's not so casual for the coaches.
1: What I've learned over the years is you do get attached to the coach and to the team, but at the same point, when you go speak to a team, it's about those players. How can I help them? Mm -hmm. How can I encourage them? How can I make a difference in their life? Especially with this new message of the one truth, when I'm helping these kids deal with the anxiety, the fear, Mm -hmm. the worry that they have, they feel powerless, how to help them have more power, more confidence, more courage. So for me, it's more missional than ever right now. So in the past, I used to be, about, yeah. like, oh, I can't speak to that team or that team because they are rivals against this team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Last year, I spoke to eight different teams. Oh, wow. wow. Eight different teams during training camp, several NFL teams, and then a lot of college teams. But this year, I got to tell you about this year. This year, I spoke to Texas, and it was really special speaking to Texas. And in talking to them, I told them a story about my wife who was being really negative, and how when you start saying, I am, I am powerful. I am strong, I am courageous, I am a warrior. How the words we speak, we become. The words we speak becomes the reality that we live. These guys really resonated with that. After speaking, I go down to the weight room and there is the strength coach. The whole team is around him in a circle. And he goes, I am. And they yelled, my brother's keeper.
0: Oh, Oh, wow. He goes, I am.
1: They yelled, my brother's keeper. I was blown away. I go, this is gonna be a different Texas team oh, wow. Wow. this year. Wow. I go, this is gonna be a team that beats yeah, that, Alabama. Part. That night before the game against Alabama, I texted Stark. I said, I gotta tell you, that was the most powerful moment I've ever had with any team during training camp. You guys are gonna be a different team. I guarantee you win tomorrow. I mean, it just felt it. He's like, thanks, bro. You're not Probably like going, okay, yeah, I got a yeah, lot to think yeah. about right now, but but it encouraged him, I believe. but that's addicting. Like when you start to see that play out and yeah. that happen, it's just addicting going to speak to teams.
0: Have you watched, this is completely off, off it's a little bit on topic, but have you watched Swamp Kings on Netflix? No, I haven't. With the- uh, University of Florida. University of Florida, like the, the Tebow era. Like it's kind of yeah. pre-Tebow and then Tebow gets yeah. integrated. I know of it. that. Yeah. But it's such an interesting thing because you can look at their approach to the, the first season that really yeah. brought them a lot of success and then to the season that really brought them a lot of demise and the difference in like mentalities going into it. Like it's so important it seems like for these young guys to have positive reinforcement that is like strong versus, you know. But that's interesting to me too, because I do watch Swamp Kings. And of course
2: I lived through that. I remember right. that era. Yeah. It's almost like it's a negative culture having a positive outcome. Mm. Because there's no way that was a positive culture. Right. It was a negative culture, but they won one or two national championships and. You know, Tim won the Heisman Trophy, and you know he's obviously a great human being. Um, and I think it was what over forty players ended up As in a, prison like 30s, or arrested. Yeah. Wow, arrested during for, that
0: tenure. Yeah, during
2: that tenure, and after. and, and then, and you know, Urban Meyer was the, the coach, and you know, and he's intense. <laughs> he's intense. Not, not that maybe creating the ideal culture, right. Like Adabo Sweeney, they would almost be like antithesis to each other. Oh yeah, you, you know. And so I, I, what it strikes me as you can actually have the optimal outcome with a negative culture in the short term, mm. but then everything will eventually collapse right. and implode because it eats away at itself.
1: Yes, just like you can be a leader and be very successful in the short term. You yeah. can lead the wrong way and still create a lot of success, but you will not have long-term success. It's called constraint theory eventually you will get to that constraint, that ceiling, which whatever was making you successful along the way, eventually becomes your demise and that ceiling starts to press down on you. And then you'll have all sorts of issues. And I see this all the time. Like hmm. I could see coaches that are not doing it the right way and I know they're not doing it the right way. Yeah. And eventually you're gonna see them falter. And then others, I see them do it the right way and maybe not have initial success. And over time they start to have that success. And you're like, all right, invest in the root, you get great fruit, focus on the fruit, ignore the root, the tree dies. And I live in Jacksonville where Urban Meyer was the coach last year. <laughs> yeah. And let's yeah. just say I will not talk about his experiences there, but Wood let's Rider, just say Wood that Ultra. revealed yeah. it revealed his his leadership. Yeah. I think the personal challenges he's facing. It's why it's so important for these the coaches mm-hmm to have mentors, to have leaders, to people walking alongside of them Mm -hmm. because it is lonely at the top, but it doesn't have to be lonely. You could be alone, but not lonely. And you could actually then bring people around you so that you're not alone or lonely. So I really believe like more than ever that these coaches, as I'm talking to a lot of them, they struggle with pressure, expectations. They have the world that is crushing down on them and they need people to speak into their life and they need people they can talk to so they don't feel so alone and separated. Yeah, it's
2: interesting. I mean, one of the things that motivated me to write Mind Shift was that we expect people to fall under the weight of failure, but we don't realize that so many people fall under the weight of success. Mm-hmm. And and I, and I feel like when even when I was writing the book, that came as a surprise to me because at first i was okay i'm going to help people not fail right i'm going to eliminate their internal structures that limit them and and those those negative structures that move them toward failure and it's almost as if i was when i was going through the process i realized oh no i actually felt this when i was succeeding oh oh no i actually felt the weight of this when i was succeeding and it was even as i was writing it i'm going i didn't feel the weight of that when i was failing <laughs> 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 right, No one was against me when I was failing. Right. <laughs> and uh, I had so many people who liked me when I looked average. <laughs> it, was, it was only when I started elevating that I felt the weight of a lot of these, you know, um, real, almost psychological structures that yes. um, weigh on you, right? So, all right, we're all listening. Can
1: I add to that real quick? Oh yeah, of course.
0: I have another question too.
1: When you're failing, yeah. guess what? You have nowhere to go but up, <laughs> <laughs> so there, there is no pressure. And even as you're climbing, you're climbing, you're climbing, you're climbing. But when you get there and you're at the top, you have so much farther to fall. Yeah, and so there right. is so much pressure, and so much to lose, and there's so much more fear now. So I used to think that, right? You, the more success you had, you had less fear. You actually have more fear as a result of that. When I wrote my book, The Carpenter, which your dad is in the book as a as a character, that's cool. The funny thing about that was, as I, I'm writing this, I got. Writer's block. I never had writer's block before because the energy bus was popular. Training camp was popular. And now I'm thinking people going to think that I, you know, wrote my best work, you know, is behind, my best work is behind me, not ahead of me. Mm-hmm. And so I really struggled during that time as I was writing this. I couldn't write. Mm-hmm. And I woke up one morning, love cast out fear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All I got to do is focus on loving the reader mm-hmm. and loving the writing process. And if I do that, I'll love what the process produces. And literally wrote that book in two and a half weeks after just creating that mind shift or that mental structure of going from fear to love and, and then going to love to fear.
0: That's so interesting. The, you, t- you mentioned uh, this difference between being able to, you, I mean, you were able to speak to a lot of teams and you see coaches, coaches who are succeeding, coaches who are failing, but you said something that you're able to see the way that they, they go about their approach and can tell whether they're going to succeed or fail. What are a few of the things that you were able to identify in those coaches preemptively?
1: that we're succeeding or that both. we're going to struggle
0: either way, both. Yeah.
2: I was, that's the I'm same more interested I in the back.
0: failure, but, but then I want to know the success. Yes. Yeah. So I, so identify
2: those for us so yeah. that we can identify them in ourselves.
1: Well, one is easy to identify cause he was not living a, a life of integrity and he was really struggling. And when I went down there to, to visit him. I basically called him out on it and said, if you want to be a big time coach, you can't be doing that stuff. And I said, if you want me to leave right now, I'll I'll leave. He goes, no, stay. I need to hear it. And that was the moment I actually fell in love with him and said, you know what, I want to invest in this person. And we've had a great relationship ever right. since. And that person has become a power five coach and having success. So, so just seeing how they're living. But from others, like where you're not really sure what's going on or why they're not succeeding or something's not quite right. And then in retrospect, you find out they're usually struggling with some personal issue themselves or mm-hmm. or a identity issue that mm-hmm. they don't feel like they deserve this. They feel like they're an imposter. And sometimes they actually feel they're over their head. Mm. And so they're in this capacity of leadership. The world is looking at them. They are the personal voice for a program. And they don't feel yet qualified to actually lead this program. And instead of seeking help, they try to put on this persona, this facade of, of a great coach or a tough coach when behind the scenes they're struggling. And what they say in public is different than what they're actually leading with in their team.
2: That's mm. mm. so good. What are some of the uh, like blink like, things you see in, the, in when you go, Oh, this person's gonna really succeed?
1: When I met Sean McVay as, as the head coach, yeah. you know, right off the bat Thank I you just for introducing yeah, him. Yeah. Uh, he's he's amazing as you know and just brilliant. Yeah and just asking a lot of questions. He was 30 years old when we met, had just gotten the job with the Rams, but you can tell he was really smart. He was really brilliant. And he understood the leadership and how to lead and what culture meant and why that was important. So I was like, okay, this guy has the right characteristics. Yeah. This guy has the right quality. So you'll see that. And you'll also see, is this person humble and hungry? Are they willing to learn and grow? Like you meet with Billy Donovan, Billy Donovan is asking, "Hey, what's next? What 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 are you seeing that others are talking about? What am I missing?" Mm. Same thing with Eric Spolstra. Eric Spolstra and I, Sean McVay, Chip Kelly, we all got together. We had a little dinner one night. That's cool. About six months ago. Yeah,
2: I, I, you must have lost my email. You I were not in tone. town. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> he knows right
1: away. You were not in yeah. town. He put it back on you. <laughs> and 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 Eric Spolstra pulls out a notepad and starts taking notes. He's literally taking notes. And he talked about how he sees himself as the steward of the Miami Heat culture and program, the steward of it. So he's like, it wasn't my goal to be the head coach. I want to carry on Pat Riley's vision, Mickey Aronson's vision, and make sure that I am the steward for the culture and this Miami Heat organization. And Mm -hmm. that's his whole approach. Like, that's impressive when you see that. It is, it is. So you could start to see though, when a guy is also facing the pressures of the world, having a few losses, do they start to look at another job? Do they start thinking about other opportunities? Do they focus on the weight of the world and actually feeling the pressure and internalizing it more and more? Your dad speaks so well to this in terms of the internal structures that we are living with and carrying around. And so are they focusing on, the outside thinking the outside has more power than them or do they look inside and realize that they have the power to overcome their circumstance? Mm -hmm. Dabo Sweeney, they're four and three a few years ago, and I go up there and I think he's gonna complain about the quarterback not playing well, the team's record, everything. Dabo Sweeney starts saying, the minute I start talking to him, I love my guys. (laughs) I love this team. He goes, yeah, we're four and three, No one's texting me. He goes, I got three people texting me now. My wife, you, and and my mother, John. So usually I have like a thousand texts, but we're four and three. No national championship this year at four and three. He even says, I love my quarterback. And DJ was not playing in a way that you would actually love him, right? But he was, I love my quarterback. So he was talking about what they'll learn. These guys are learning things that they will never learn any other way. These guys are growing in ways they would never grow if we didn't have this challenge. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, okay. This is real leadership. This is not just someone talking about to the media. He is living it day in, day out. They won every game after that year. They lost the first two. Well, they lost not the first two, but they lost two already this year. Yeah, yeah. Two games they should have won. Mm -hmm. I know he's probably very frustrated, but the minute the game is over, he's already looking forward towards the positive. They should have beat Florida State, and they should have beat Duke.
2: Yes, but Duke, I, I can understand how Duke surprised them. Duke is better than anyone expected.
1: Better, but they also fumbled twice and missed a field goal. Oh yeah, they lost to themselves. They get those two touchdowns. That's a turnaround of 14 or 20 something points as a result of that. Clemson Mm.
2: played great against Florida State.
1: They played great. They looked like a a better team against Florida State for sure and still should have won and then winded up losing. So you look at that and you go, okay, but how do they respond? How do they come back from adversity? Hmm. That's amazing.
2: No, I, I, I just find that to be really fascinating that to me, you're working with people where the expectation of them is in a sense perfection. Mm. The expectation of them is championship. The expectation of them is that they are the best of the best. And I'm gonna just guess most people even listening, they don't live in that crucible. You know, you're not expected to be the best in the world every day. And and yet I think it's when you work with people like that that you get to see the things that we should do every day practically to become the best version of ourselves. Right. So, what are some practices in your own life, John? Like, you, you know, sometimes you're coaching coaches, but what do you what, what do you look in the mirror and tell John Gordon? These are the things I need to remember for myself to be the best version of me.
1: Well, I ask you what I need to do better, so I just come to you and say, "Everyone, okay, coach me up, help me get better, help me with a mind shift right now to to improve myself." You're right, because we can get so focused on coaching others that we don't look at ourselves and see what we need, what we need to do, and how we need to improve, and how we can get better. And so I'm always looking at myself and how I can get better. One is, you know, with my leadership team, like there are moments with my own team that I'm running so hard and I have so much going on that I want people to be able to figure it out and take care of it. And if they don't, that's frustrating because you want someone to take things off your plate. Right, not
2: put more things on your plate. But yet you
1: have to take it and carry it and then drive it forward. So I get frustrated Mm -hmm. with that. And sometimes I get frustrated when people don't see the vision that I have And so I'm way ahead of them with the vision. And I have to remember, no, walk with them and bring them towards the vision. So what do I do each day to, to stay more positive, to, to feed myself every day, to, to make sure I'm the best leader I can be. I definitely, every morning I take a walk of, of gratitude and prayer. And while I'm walking, I just say what I'm thankful for and I pray. And so I'm renewing my mind, I'm practicing gratitude. I read years ago that you can't be stressed and thankful at the same time. And that was at the peak of my misery. I was depressed, <laughs> I was anxious, my wife almost left me I was so negative. So I was really struggling. It's so ironic to me that I do this work, that my <laughs> calling and my mission is about positivity mm-hmm. and I'm here to teach positivity and yet I'm not naturally positive. Like you guys know I, I grew up in Long Island, New York, You know. New York City dad, police officer. That whole island is yeah. negative. <laughs> Undercover narcotics. Hey, when I started speaking, my dad said, I can't believe people pay you to speak. When you're a kid, we paid you to shut up. That's what my dad said. <laughs> so at I, least they paid you. John. Yeah, at least they paid me. So, so I struggle with that. But, but then along the way, right, I had to learn to be more positive. And the number one thing I did was take these walks of gratitude every day and practice gratitude and say what I'm thankful for. And those eventually turned into walks of prayer. And looking back, what I realized was, I was tuning my brain into the positive instead of the negative over time. And that had a huge impact on me.
0: Yeah. I do have a question about imposter syndrome and if you've ever had it yourself.
1: Yeah, of course. Yeah. When I first started speaking, I felt like an imposter and I would basically take walks before I spoke and I would say, I am worthy. (laughs) I am worthy. I am worthy. And I would say this, I'm not worthy in myself, but I'm worthy in you, God. And I'm wor- worthy in the message I can share to help others. So I am worthy in that. And that actually helped me through that imposter syndrome.
0: Do you think the things that you tell yourself are more important than the things other people tell you?
1: It's everything. <laughs> Best advice I ever heard is from Dr. James Gills, only person on the planet to complete six double Ironman triathlons. That's insane. And he said the secret to that was, talk to yourself, don't listen to yourself. Mm. And so if you listen to those negative thoughts, the negative voices of yourself or others, then guess what, you'll become that. But if you speak a life, words of encouragement, words of truth, then you become those thoughts. So the thoughts we think are everything, the thoughts we say ultimately are what we become. I've been so passionate about saying that lately, You know, in terms of, I'm saying this to corporate audiences too, like as a person thinks, they become. So start thinking the right way. We've been saying in the church for years, but we know in, in their everyday life it matters. I
2: think it's so funny, I can't remember who it is, but who is pretty famous and he says that his mentor told him that Napoleon Hill said as a as a person thinks so they become and i thought Napoleon Hill didn't tell you that he got that from the bible right <laughs> exactly <laughs> and, uh, that yep. uh, that the core of business wisdom is actually biblical wisdom yep which is very interesting
1: i gave a talk yesterday to a business and the guy came up to me afterwards who who brought me and he said i can't believe how much biblical truth you just shared in that talk he goes, you were sharing the Bible, you were sharing Jesus without even actually sharing Jesus. He goes, I don't know how you did it, but you did yeah, it.
0: That's really special. I love that. I, was, I mean, I was talking with a friend who doesn't believe in God at all. Um, and I was talking about like encouraging him, like, hey, there's something that maybe you could work on is like encouraging the people in your life. And they were like, why would I ever do that? <laughs> and, and, and it wasn't even like, and, and they're a kind person. They're just not necessarily like a forward uh, encourager. And so, you know, in, in, talking about, I made, I made this comment being like, I'm always going to speak life into our relationship, our friendship. And they were like, what is, even does that mean? And, and we, we talk about this a lot, like having, being, uh, using la- human language versus Christian language or any type of specific language. Um, and I realized that even that is just something that's so specific to what we believe. That's something that's in biblical in our lives, that we encourage each other, that we encourage each other vocally and not just, you know, in support and, in attendance, but, uh. I was having a conversation with one of my buddies, James, and he was having a low point. He's like, man, I just feel down, I'm feeling down. And he's, he's a consultant, he's, he's he does MNE. Or MA mergers and acquisitions. And he's like, I'm he's like, I'm at the point in my life where I'm looking in the mirror telling me doing that some Superman stuff, <laughs> doing the Superman's <laughs> pose. And he used more colorful language and we were laughing because I was like, hey man, I as as cheesy as that sounds when you say it, I don't think the intention's cheesy. I think the intention is actually really healthy. You're trying to speak something into you. And then we just talked about some things that are encouraging. But for you you mentioned a little bit that you have more insights into how coaches succeed and fail. Yes.
2: I mean, we're, I mean we're both Ted Lasso fans and you and you've wait wait, wait. let him answer no, before it, he goes into I just the think you have both sides you have Ted and you have Nate and you've worked with both Ted's and Nate's so talk to us both what you see with Ted's and what you see with Nate's
1: when you're working with a coach mm-hmm. are they focusing on the culture first and foremost because a lot of them are not focused on the culture they're focusing on the wins mm-hmm. so what is their mindset is it about getting the wins or is it about building a culture building a program I was just with Trent Dilfer who became the head coach of UAB. This is his first year as a college head coach. That's amazing. Here's Trent talking about culture, Mm -hmm. getting these guys right. They're not winning a lot of games right off the bat, but he is so focused on their character. That's cool. Growing them as people, helping them heal. I did a Q and A after I, I spoke about the one truth and There were so many questions from these guys with the struggles that they were facing in their life, and we were talking about that. This coach loved it. He thought it was great. Other coaches would be like, we don't have time for that. So are you making time for culture? Mm. How much are you spending on it? Mm. You focus on your players. The other thing is when guys are messing up and they're doing things that they shouldn't be doing, is the coach addressing it? Mm. Is he holding them accountable? Mm. Does he have a standard and does he lead to the standard? That's a big part of it as well. Like mm. what standard are you sharing and are you making sure that you adhere mm. to the standard along the way? Yeah, and that. then I got like Mac Brown, like he's old school, but he loves his players and he yeah. shares his love with them. And those players yeah. know that. So does the coach actually love the players and care about them? Cause there's a lot of coaches that the players do not matter to that coach. Mm. They really don't like, it's about you are an asset. How can we win with you? And if we can't win with you, you're done. So how does the coach treat a player who's injured Mm. versus a player that's healthy? Mike Smith used to always go into the treatment room and talk to the players and see how they're doing, Mm. address it. When that player got healthy, he knew this coach cares about me because he came to see me when I was injured. Most coaches like you're injured. Don't waste my time. You're
0: not my problem right now. You're not my problem.
1: Yeah, Talk to the training staff. Talk to me when you're healthy, let's go. So how do they handle that? So there's all these little nuances, here's a big one. This is like really unique for me that I can tell. Does the coach respond to their text within the day? Uh, A lot of coaches, I'll text them to me. Interesting. Do they respond to the text a week later or never versus the coaches that are on it? They will respond to you that day. Dabo Sweeney will respond to you within two hours. Hmm no matter how many texts he's getting he will respond to you and these guys you can tell just the kind of clarity that they have and the ability to handle a lot of things coming their way based on that one little test Mm, that's Mm. interesting
2: you know i i I completely concur and even you know i respond to every text right i respond quickly Mm. and it's and it can be overwhelming yeah it can be you know but i also know I've related to people who later had massive collapses in their life, moral collapse, leadership collapse, psychological collapse, and all of them were people who uh, expected you to respond right away and then would ghost you when you text them back yep. or wouldn't respond to you at all. And you can you can see a deficiency in a person by how they respond yeah. or a proficiency, I guess, yeah. in that too, so i I... I, I Confirm that, I found that in my
1: own life too. Yep. I've also had it along the way where a coach doesn't give you a lot of time. They don't give you a lot of energy. You're trying to help them and they just seem too busy. But you'll start to see a shift in that coach when things are going wrong or something's happening mm-hmm. and then they start reaching out and they mm-hmm. start asking questions. And as you know, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, but they mm-hmm. gotta be ready. Yeah. But you can always tell when something's going on and they start reaching out. And you can see that in pro athletes as well. A lot of times when they're younger, they don't want to take advice. They don't want to listen. Yeah. They think they know everything. And as they get older in their career, they remember you coming to speak eight years ago, and they reach out to you. Hey, John. Hey, John. So yeah. you can also see that. But a lot of that is just people growing and maturing. Yeah.
0: No, development and, and like in the evolution of yeah. the mindset is so
1: important. It's like I mean, my own kids. They didn't talk when I was young. When they were, I'm sorry. They, yeah. My kids wouldn't talk to me when they were That's younger. Like they didn't talk when they were young. Now they want to reach out all the time and talk to me, like That's all amazing. the time, which is which is interesting. Yeah
0: it's great it is great I mean I think that's an interesting thing too because you're very close to your kids both of them and and I'm a bit older than Jade I think maybe by 5 or 6 years and then Cole is maybe 10 years younger than me Yeah, Jade is
1: 25
0: okay yeah so I'm 10 years older than Jade and then much a bit older Cole's younger. you're 35 35 now
1: 35
0: yeah yeah I'm getting old man getting up there I love it I think I, I'm more excited about life than I think I was at 25 at 25 I was actually an idiot like an actual <laughs> idiot. like it's just crazy to think that my 20s the way I describe it is I liter- I literally thought I knew everything I was untouchable and, you know, and then at yeah. 30, I was like, "Oh, I know nothing," <laughs> and I spent the last 10 years thinking I know everything. And now it's starting to like learn and actually listen, and 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 even responding to text messages. That's such a thing. Like my 20s, I was so inconsistent. I was so up and down in a roller coaster of of communication. And and then you know, I think being around you, realizing that mm-hmm. maybe my world can't be as big naturally, just the way my personality is wired, but the people that I do really value I have to respond Mm -hmm. to I have to even just let them know that I care about them or like, hey, you know, take the time call reach out. And, and there's a there's a there's something about that you're very you guys are both the most annoying people over text, like you guys (laughs) genuinely text people all of the time. I don't understand how you function like that. But it but it is, I see it as someone on the outside, how great both of your businesses are and your relationships are. And I probably think that your business success is a result of how great your relationships are, both of you. As a question from, as someone who's a bit younger, how do you make that jump from wanting to speak into people's lives to then being able to speak into each other's, people's lives?
1: Wanting to and then doing it?
0: Yeah, cause I think we talked about this earlier, like there's a lot of fake coaches out there, you know, and then people who want and desire it. But at some point I imagine both of you wanted to do it too or did you naturally just fall into it? I I have an answer. Yeah. Because I I think in some odd way, the
2: answer is obvious. You're doing, it's fake when you're trying to coach people who actually are more successful than you. Mm. So you're using their fame and their success to build your brand. It's real and it's honest and it's valuable when you're investing in people who are where you used to be and you're genuinely helping them accelerate, make progress to move their life forward. And I think one of the differences with you, John, is that, and I think it's true, you know, in, in both of our journeys, we, we coached the people we loved and cared about. We coached people that no one will ever know because they were not famous and never became famous. Yeah. And But we cared about them as human beings. And it's, it was the success of how both how you lived your life and how other people who um, listened, how the outcomes they had, and that gave you credibility. All right, so let's say Spalstra. Right. Let's pick him. How did that conversation begin?
1: Usually, for me, it's the fact that they read one of my books, that, that, that's and then they'll reach out. So yeah. that is very helpful in that way. So they'll reach out, but for me, it's a little different. Like, what's my key? My key has always been don't have an agenda. Mm-hmm. Like i'm not here to get fame from you or to get success from you or to promote my relationship with you Hmm. it's about serving you being there for you encouraging you and helping you along the way and then years later they wind up appreciating it recognizing it just like dave roberts at our at at my birthday party like that was really special to see yeah, that, that Dave boy. Roberts spoke like that because for all those years when he first got the job, he read you went in the locker room first, yeah, yeah. reached out, I go meet with Dave, I speak to his team during spring training, stayed with him at spring training, a stranger, then we became friends and then I'm there just pouring in and I'm encouraging and then I'm going to visit and I'm seeing him and I'm not getting paid at that point to do this, I'm just there to encourage. And I love it, I love sports, but I also just, love being able to develop this relationship. And then over time, you invest, you invest, you invest. Mm. And then years later, they say something, but you weren't looking for that. You were never doing it for that reason. Have you ever or the released fame. that video? No.
2: It's the most beautiful information I've ever seen. I it just ever. wouldn't
1: feel right. I don't think doing it publicly and, and sharing that, that was, you know, for me personal and for the party. I mean, it was for the yeah, people at the when party. When I heard
2: what Dave Roberts said about you, on your birthday or celebration of your 50th year birthday you just realized that <laughs> we, we can also talk about that like the immeasurable impact that you've yeah. had on his life it was special and the dodgers and when you look at the la dodgers your fingerprints all over their success it's a really yeah. beautiful thing yeah, when he
1: said that i literally started to cry because for me <laughs> for me like you're doing this work in the dark for years and you're helping people yeah but you're not getting the recognition along the way, but you know you're doing it. My wife's seeing it, mm-hmm. and she's seeing me coach these guys on the phone with them. Mm-hmm. She's seeing me help these 16-year-olds who are struggling and even suicidal and talking to these kids who are struggling, so she's seeing it, but no one else is seeing it. Mm-hmm. And then you got these people in the media and social media promoting it like, oh, I'm here, I'm doing this, we're doing that. Meanwhile, you know behind the scenes what's happening. And then for that for that moment, it just taught me, just keep showing up and doing the work and encouraging people. And mm-hmm don't have the agenda. So you gotta build trust because guess what? Everybody wants something from them. Mm-hmm. The pro athletes, yeah. everyone wants something from them. Yeah. Your dad and I love to then say, how can we give to you? How yeah. can we help you? I think we're both of the same of the same nature. And in doing that, then people could tell. Like they say dogs and NFL coaches and NFL athletes or NBA coaches and athletes, they're all the same. They can smell <laughs> yeah. when someone is not <laughs> yeah. real. They just That's know funny. it. Yeah. And that's when you funny. walk into their room yeah. to speak to a team, yeah. you have to make sure that you don't have an agenda. Like mm-hmm. your agenda has to be to make an impact, to make them better. And guess what? If you have something to say that can make them better, they'll listen. Yeah. If you don't, yes. don't waste their time. Yeah.
0: Oh, that's uh, amazing. Okay. That's really amazing. And also if you don't know who Dave Roberts is, uh, he is the greatest manager in, in baseball right now. The manager of, the, of the, the, the Los Angeles Dodgers, and he is a legend. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and I think it's also, one thing that I noticed for you is that you don't always talk about people until they've talked about you. And not in the same way as like, I don't really mention coaching someone or being someone's mentor, unless I hear them say something. Right. And then when they say it, then I go, oh, it's okay to say it. Right. You, you know. And the funniest thing for me is, that you didn't make it out there, but I got to go to the um, US Open with David Mara and a friend, our, our, our mutual friend who lives over by you. And it was so weird for me to be sitting in this section with all these people working in the hundreds of millions and billions, and he's going, this is my life coach. He's literally introducing me to everyone. This is my life coach. I thought, at first I realized they all thought he was joking. You know, and uh, and then after about an hour and a half of him telling stories and all the time, the guy, one guy would go, you you really are his life coach, right? I said, well, I don't call myself that, but yeah, I guess I am. You know? And then another guy we're driving back goes, so do you coach other people? And, and I think that's the power is when someone else says you've helped them, not when you say you've helped them. Right. You know, Dabo Sweeney, he would sing your praises forever. You know, Eric Swolstra would, without, a, without hesitation, affirm your influence on the Miami Heat. Yeah. Dave, you know, Roberts gives you credit for basically all their pennants. So, you know, <laughs> and, and I think that's the difference is that you're not trying to write on someone else's cold tails. They're actually grateful for the investment you've made in their life. And which is why we're so excited to have you here yeah. with us today too no, which is you. kind of
1: awesome yeah. yeah well you guys have been a big, big part of my life obviously and so it's an honor to be here i listen to this podcast all the time so yeah. it's great to be on it with you guys. Oh,
2: I, I think a really fun awkward thing
0: to do is if you would just take a minute and coach aaron oh, <laughs> well, you have behind the scenes <laughs> and yeah. you're someone that i actually call like you're the only you're the, really the only friend of my dad's and friend of mine that i will when i'm not doing okay i pick up the phone and actually call you and ask for your advice and and I've only done it twice, but I but I know but you're on that that short list of people that that I know have invested so much. You would be there if I failed or if I succeeded.
1: Always, you know. That goes to it as well. Like a lot of guys, they are your friends when you're winning. Yeah. And guess what? The minute you start losing, no one's there. I love to reach out to that coach <laughs> when he's losing, when he's struggling, and yeah. be like, "Hey, I'm here for you. Let's talk." You know, yeah. Coach Fitzgerald, Northwestern, got fired from Northwestern guy is full of integrity amazing leader but weird circumstances weird events hard to say what ultimately happened but this guy is incredible so i reached out to him i said hey You're gonna make a great nfl coach one day yeah like actually very soon i'm sure because he just got fired he's probably not gonna coach college after this yeah he's gonna coach in the nfl so i'd love to encourage that guy and by the way when we talked that one time what your dad loved is that when we talked i didn't tell him that we talked no i never knew until
2: you mentioned
0: it
1: because i wasn't gonna tell him
0: like a a month later later. i like a month later i called him and was like hey hey hey, by the way john's
2: been and i I wasn't gonna tell him because i I thought that was i think
0: you thought i knew
2: yeah, and I didn't know. And I remember saying to John, I went, I called John, and I said, Aaron called you a few months ago, and he goes, Yeah, and he processed stuff with you. He goes, Yeah, and, I said, and you never told me, and he goes, No, and I said, Thank you. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. Think,
1: I didn't think I was supposed to tell him.
0: Yeah, yeah. no, I think I asked because I, I was something personal, and I, I didn't want to stress you out because you you're so like we're so close that mm-hmm. sometimes when I'm going through something, you end up taking it on yourself, mm-hmm. and so you were someone who I knew understood both sides. And and I was really grateful. So I was honored. You. I yeah. was honored. That
1: was that was that was a great moment for me when you called. I, I loved it, and thank I you. really felt like okay, well, we are now friends too.
0: Well, I mean, you've always been you've always been someone that I've always looked up to in, in that in that regard, and you definitely are a mentor. But more than that, you've always invested in my family and everything that we've done. And you, I mean, to the point where you like, you spend the summers sometimes in L.A. So, I love. I mean, we're airing out where everybody lives, but I just love that you're you're in town a lot more, and I I'm really grateful. But um, we, we were talking, what else do you wanna go with this? Where else do you wanna go?
2: Um, is there anything you'd like to talk about specifically around your book? Yes. Or what you're doing, something you're doing?
1: I mean, I just love what I'm sharing right now. Again, our conversations over the years have been a huge influence in the One Truth, right? really shaping my thought process, helping me understand how God works, looking at identity, looking at Adam and Eve in the garden, and i wrote a book called the garden yeah. earlier you
2: said that i was in the i was the main character of the carpenter but i i no, you no, the main character of the carpenter well
1: you but you're a character in the carpenter Did you make an you're appearance and well, you I'm make a, an appearance in the carpenter
2: i missed that okay yeah. but i'm a but i'm a character in the garden but you're the yeah
1: you are like the main character <laughs> mr irwin in the garden <laughs> From your influence and impact teaching me about the garden and teaching the world about it, not just me. But once I understood that, like what I love talking about is oneness and separateness Mm -hmm. and how the garden is is the ultimate story, obviously, of separation. Mm -hmm. And what I love about that, it's a Jewish story. And you're Jewish. And I'm Jewish, but it's not a Christian story. Right. So people often automatically assume it's a Christian story. It's Mm -hmm. a Jewish story that details and explains the separation of men and women from God and from each other. And what are we dealing with in life but separation and division. And the root for the Greek word of anxious means to separate and divide. Hmm. So when you feel anxious, you feel separate and divided. What does fear do? Divides. And you said the other day, which I heard you say, it, it was so powerful. You said that all of creation basically is is moaning or, or groaning, groaning yeah. for redemption. Yeah. Guess what? Why? Because there was a split. Mm-hmm. There's a separation going on and everything in life is about coming back mm-hmm. to oneness, to healing, to wholeness. And mm-hmm. so if you look at the separation and then you look at, as a person of faith, Jesus, what does he do? He brings you back to oneness, mm-hmm. to wholeness, to healing, to restore what was broken. And so in the one truth, ultimately if we wanna have better mental health, if we wanna enhance our positivity, if we wanna make sure that we elevate our state of mind, all the things I talk about in the book, faith is a big part of that. Not religion, but that relationship with God who Mm. wants to have a relationship with you and have a personal relationship and create that connection. And in that connection and that oneness, that's how you actually start to heal. Mm. Because we heal in what? A loving relationship. So your dad and I had this great conversation Mm. as I was thinking about this book and processing and running ideas by him. And I talked about relational psychology, how you mm. you heal in a loving relationship. He goes, can you heal with a stranger? I said, I said no. Mm. He goes, if God's a stranger, you can't heal. Mm. Has to be a personal God. Mm. Has to be a God of love and forgiveness. That has helped so many people from the book and what I share, because guess what? Has to be a personal God, a loving God that wants to love and forgive you, and in that, heal you.
2: Wow. That's so, so good. I, I love, love that. It. Yeah, just adding to that, in, uh, in James it actually says that um, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without finding any fault in us. He says, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is a double minded person, unstable in everything they do. And that word double minded is, is the same um, dynamic of anxious, mm. because you're torn apart. You you're split minded. And so when you're split minded, you're unstable in everything you do. Wow. And so there's an irony here, because in that particular passage, it's talking about how to gain wisdom in life. And so you, you have wisdom when life is interconnected, when you see the connecting points between this choice and that consequence or that benefit. And when we're unstable in, in our minds, we actually disconnect cause and effect. We think I can make this choice and get this outcome. And we want, we want our personal choice, but we want to choose the consequence or benefit of a choice. I said, look, uh, in life, you do get to make the choice, but you don't get to choose the outcome. Hmm. And you know, the, the outcome in a sense, that's where I'm going, that's in the principles of the universe. Because you can choose to jump out of a 10 story window, but you don't get to choose whether gravity pulls you down or up. <laughs> and, uh, that choice now has been made for you. Right. And I think sometimes, you know, and we've talked about this, like free will and what, you know, what's fate, what, what's fate and what's free, right? right? With a sense where the choice is free, but the consequence or benefit is fate. Because if I if I choose to go underwater without an oxygen tank, that's my free will. But the fact that I'm gonna drown, that's already determined. Because there's there's a there are principles to the universe. Mm. It's the same way with life. You can choose not to forgive. That's your free will. But the impact of bitterness and how it eats you up mm. alive and steals from you intimacy and destroys mm. your relationships, in a sense, that's the fate of that free. And, and, and I think one of the things that I, um, I really appreciate in what you're doing is you're trying to help people step back to the very first point of origin. And even in the one truth going, look, there's a lot of complexities of life, but here's where it pairs down to the simple. If you're separated, you're empty and you're broken and you're anxious and you're stressed. And when you're connected, there's a wholeness that happens and that, and that creates the environment for hope and for joy and for love. And, and I think the most complicated problems in the world usually have very simple answers. Yeah.
1: We tend to complicate things. I think the closer you get to truth, the simpler the lessons become.. Yeah. And so if you talk about the one truth, it should be it should be simple. We know that many of, of your of your listeners and people just around the world, so many are dealing with anxiety today, mm-hmm. worry and fear, and there's chronic stress like like never before. And so what I've been loving to do is really talk about like ways to deal with it, how to handle it, but why they're feeling stressed in the first place. Like when you move from oneness to separateness, you do move from positive to negative. Mm -hmm. All mental health disorders report feelings of being alone, Mm -hmm. isolated, disconnected, and separate. Mm. And you were talking about overthinking the other day. Mm-hmm. And isn't it interesting that we never talk about overthinking and say, I have too many positive thoughts?
2: That's what I said on yeah, the Kai. You guess. said that yeah. positive
1: thoughts. We always talk about how how more negative thoughts. Yeah. Why does it always go towards the yeah. negative? And that was a conversation we had when we were talking about schizophrenia yeah. and and bipolar. Think about it. schizophrenia. There's a separation, mm-hmm. bipolar separation. Mm-hmm. So everything ultimately comes down to that separateness that we're we're talking about and we have more and more negative thoughts. So at the psychological level, those negative thoughts are what are creating your separation. The clutter creates the lower state of mind, the negative thoughts coming in, the fear, the worry, the anxiety, Mm. creates more and more separation. And Mm. when you have the the gap between oneness and separateness, or what I call the hole in your soul, or the wounds, whatever you wanna call it, we're always trying to fill the gap with things that make us feel better because we feel so bad. Mm. But a lot of times we choose things that, give us relief, temporary, but not restoration.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, most of the things that make us feel better don't make us better. Right. And, and, and they create a, an illusion of healing. And, and, <laughs> and to actually get to healing usually requires more pain, mm-hmm. not less pain. And so if we're looking for the immediate alleviation of pain, we're going to move toward feeling better rather than becoming better.
1: It's so funny you said that because I was thinking about that very thing, pain. Like we have to go through pain in order to heal, but we spend billions of dollars as a society to avoid pain. Mm. We take pills, there's medications. Everything is about avoiding pain. So we don't address the pain, but God is not gonna let you go through life without addressing the pain and dealing with the pain to move to the healing process.
0: So, How would you differentiate coping, healing, and uh, and maybe like masking? Okay, there's so, I think one one of the things I wanted to get to this about, about anxiety. I have massive anxiety. I, I struggle with depression. This this season's of my life. Yeah. Like, it's something I've shared with, with you for my whole life. And and being anxious feels like something that's over the generation a little bit. It feels spiritual warfare. We've talked about this. We don't talk about this too much on the pod, but it feels like it's deeper than just what everyone's going through at the same time. It feels like a, a manifestation of something that's very spiritual or something that's deep within our culture. Um, but how do you not mask your anxiety, but actually heal your anxiety or mask the brokenness in yourself and fill that hole with coping mechanisms and you know how do you actually heal that
1: well you have to first recognize where that anxiety is coming from and also where the wound is coming from and understanding the wound is is really helpful okay what's causing the wound and what is making the separation happen and once you realize that okay this is a manifestation of, of feeling separate you'll start to Fill it up with things that may be coping but if it doesn't make you ultimately better in the long run and it's just a temporary relief Mm. those are the kind of things you want to stay away from it's why people play video games because they're Mm. coping in the moment Mm. or people drink or they do drugs we do all sorts of things to to Mm. cope but recognizing those things are actually not providing Mm. the healing that i need Mm. what provides the healing what Mm. will heal me as i move forward towards my life and we all have Things that need to be healed. I still have things that need to be healed and that's why my word this year is whole, W H O L E. So it's going through the process of the whole in our soul and how do we become more whole? Hmm. And that's nurturing ourselves. That's loving ourselves. That's forgiving ourselves. And I do believe, Aaron, that that a lot of times we also someone who's dealt with depression and anxiety, who lived this, our brain, Romans eight, five, six, a mind governed by the flesh waits to death a mind governed by the spirit leads to life and peace. Mm. And so if our brain and our mind and our soul has been governed for a long time with, with negative thoughts, with fear, with anxiety, with doubt, it becomes a pattern. Mm. So we've gotta change the pattern by governing it by life and peace and the spirit. And so by actually tuning into the spirit of God and renewing our mind on a daily basis. Mm. So the walks of prayer, the walks of gratitude, like truly reading the word, and allowing God's spirit to heal us. That's how we heal over time. I meet a lot of Christians who who struggle with fear, anxiety, with mental health issues. And I've been thinking about this. If we truly believe that Jesus is the savior, then why are people still struggling? And it's because they've accepted Jesus as their savior. To, so their spirit, their spirit's saved, hmm. but their soul still needs healing. Hmm. And I believe that those symptoms are always symptoms letting us know that healing needs to take place. So we don't basically just take the medication that gets rid of the symptom, that doesn't deal with the root. We actually go to the root. And the root is always about healing and about getting back to oneness with God and really connecting with God on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. And people say, well, just you can't pray enough. No, over time, I believe that the more we do pray and tune into God and connect with God and surrender to God and trust in God and truly surrender and let go of that control, over time, Mm -hmm. the mind and the soul heals and then it actually starts to heal the brain. Hmm. Our mind doesn't need fixing; our soul needs healing.
0: Hmm.
2: Hmm. I just gotta say, it's so surreal for me, having known you before you met Jesus, to hear you quoting the Bible. It's just so cool. I'm just so, going, John Gordon, who are you?
1: <laughs> and, what would you add to that, by the way? Because um, you always give profound, no, incredible I think advice. that was
2: really, really good. I, I think the thing that um, that struck me, not, and I can't think of the actual word, but. Um, you know what? What, what what's what word would describe when you're like, in a in in water and you're just going round and round and round. A whirlpool. It's like you know, you know, but a lazy river. Flapping. You, you know, because when you're masking pain, what you're actually masking is an unwillingness to change patterns to break the cycle. Yeah, and what the reason we mask pain is because we're still not willing to make the necessary change. And deal with the pain. And deal with that pain. Mm. And realize that that pain is connected to choices. Mm. Because it's sometimes more painful to make the choice than it is to, ba- to bear the pain. And you know, I, I, I think of this like um, people who hate their jobs. I mean, they just, people who are really in bad situations and they're unhappy, they're depressed, they're in a bad situation, why don't they quit? and and so they'll mask that pain they they might even mask that pain by playing video games 10 hours a you know a week or 40 hours a week or drinking or 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 you know living in, in different you know uh, I mean, relationships smoking weed, or smoking drugs weed. a lot drinking, of people yeah vaping yeah. smoking and they'll mask that pain because the fear of quitting that job and not having another job is actually a barrier they're not willing to over mm. you know to overcome mm. and so they mask the pain with other things but they really have to make the choice of uh, choosing a different future and and i what i find most of the time when you're masking pain what you're actually masking is a choice you're unwilling to make and then if you could actually recognize the choice you need to make you'll actually begin to affect the pain that you want to remove in your life does
1: that make sense yeah yeah you know, I- i would say it's the the choice you made in the past that created what you're feeling now and the pattern right you have but that now. choice
2: in the past i think still exists
0: to this day
1: mm. that
0: what do you mean by that if you the choice in the past doesn't go away
1: well the consequence of you, the that, consequence that choice. the consequence of that
2: choice right because okay. you have to make a different choice to redirect your life or yeah. your life energy you know so let's say something happened to me at at 15 and that pain has persisted throughout my life. And now I'm masking that pain because I'm not dealing with what that was, but I'm also not willing to forgive, or I'm not willing to let go of the bitterness. And so it's not that I have to change that circumstance, but I have to change my response to that circumstance. And so what's actually being masked is my unwillingness to change my response. Mm -hmm. And so I maybe I've decided my best way of handling it is I'm a victim, and I'm gonna be bitter all my life. Mm. And, but that, that strategy doesn't work because it doesn't make you better, it doesn't get you past that. So even though it happened in the past, it's the present choice that needs to be changed. Does that make sense? Yeah, oh yeah. am.
1: And you talked about bitterness a few weeks ago mm-hmm. and you said it's easier to be bitter than it is actually to be vulnerable and go through the healing process. Yeah, absolutely. See, I envision the picture I have is this hole in our soul and we fill that hole with cement. And so it's easier to fill it with cement, so you can be hardened, mm, yeah. but not feel powerless. And so I have mm. this picture of like cement that we try to fill it with, when really we need to actually go into the place of of, of healing and allow it to be actually moldable and shapeable, so that new healing can begin. So you can actually become a, a different version of you, a better version of you, going forward. I've lived this journey, and I think when I write about it, and that's what your dad said as well. Like when he read the one truth, it was very personal because in many ways, like. Mm. I didn't write it based on my own own personal experiences, but as someone who dealt with fear, anxiety, who had no relationship with God, who never made time for God and was pursuing things of this world, I wanted success. I wanted money. I wanted to provide for my family. I was eating all the wrong foods, acting all the wrong ways, not being a great husband, not being a great father. I was making choices that were a pattern that, that I created. And then from that, I had to change that. And I look back now and those walks of gratitude and prayer, I was connecting with the creator of the universe every single day in my prayer. Hmm. And I was surrendering. And I think part of my Buddhist background and part of my new age background actually gave me a spiritual practice to do it. What I realized was I was missing Jesus in the practice. Interesting, okay. And then then it became the spiritual connection with the creator, which God is spirit, allowing God's spirit to infuse my spirit, my soul, which is where healing takes place. And mm-hmm. if we never take time for God, mm-hmm. if we're just, you could read the Bible, but actually be closed off to God, mm-hmm. I don't think it's actually gonna help you if you read the Bible, but you're closed off to God. Yeah. But if you're open to God and you're reading the Bible, and all of a sudden his spirit moves through you, the word and the spirit together, and one, and maybe they are one, as you would say, but they come together, wow, that's what transform you. And that's what people need today, they need, healing. They mm. need renewal. Hmm.
0: What, so good. What do you think it is about our human nature that when we, that, that, that our bitterness produces this kind of concreteness, that this hardenedness in our, inside of our spirit, inside of ourselves? Like, what do you think it is? Because you would think that something that gets, uh, maybe beat up would be talking about like our body or our spirit or our mind or, our, you know, our confidence or our integrity or, you know, whatever it might be, our belief yeah. in humanity, you'd think it would make us softer. Right, like more pliable, less strong. But it seems that our human minds and souls and memory tend to harden. Yep. And then we've talked a lot about this because you know when you move from a place of, of being hardened, you actually limit so much of like what is around you, the opportunities around you. But what do you think it is that that's our natural response and reaction?
1: So the way I view it is that a, a narcissist actually believes they're separate. And because they believe they're separate, okay. they don't care about anyone else. they're only focusing on themselves and their own survival okay narcissists at the neurological level actually create a separation Hmm. in their brain they cut off other parts of the brain because they've experienced trauma or Hmm. something in the past that was really painful for them and so as a result of this it's a survival mechanism Hmm. a protective mechanism to protect themselves but they get hardened because of that protection and they don't care about others that's why narcissists don't make great leaders yeah ego same thing ego stands for edging god out people always blame the ego say the ego is the enemy what is an ego and where does an ego come from in the first place Mm. the ego comes from the feeling of being separate and because you feel separate you feel powerless Mm. and when you feel powerless Mm. guess guess what Mm. that gives rise to the ego to this self power but it's very weak power because it's connected to self Mm. it's not connected to god So as you're edging God out, you're focusing on self and self power. So it looks powerful, but it's actually very weak. If that person would accept, again, healing, Mm -hmm. being vulnerable, open, they would actually then connect to others, heal through relationship, connect to God, and as you do, you would actually be connected to and in in touch with and feeling the power of God or one with God, and that power would then give you greater power. Mm -hmm. So instead of your limited power, it's now God's power moving through you. No different than, I believe, the garden hmm. where we were trying to rely on ourselves and have self-power, and I see this all the time. When I see teachers in this world say, you have the power. Anyone who says, you have the power, you can do this, which, which sounds very appealing. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's very empowering, but it's basically saying, eat from this fruit of the tree and you'll be like God. Yeah. God is saying, no, be one with me yeah. and I will give you my power my healing and then you'll have power so i think that's the two choices Does that makes sense yeah it
0: makes sense i was listening to this really interesting podcast i cannot remember the name of it austin it was with um pen badgley that the actor from gossip girl which is uh-huh. really random that i've been listening to this <laughs> but you know that was my generation i grew up with it but he he's a unique person but he had rob low on and Rob Lowe basically talks about kind of like the rise and fall of his early, you know, younger years, but maybe one of the first kind of heartthrobs that really existed in that generation. And from a really young age to like becoming a young man and then going through some really heavy things. And he talks about Really, it goes left field, like the middle of the podcast. He starts talking about how his relationship with God is like one of the most important things, and I was I called you. I think I was mm-hmm. driving to your house, and I was listening yeah. to it. and he And he talks about you know becoming sober and his relationship with AA. He, he doesn't say AA, but he but it's obvious that that's the, mm-hmm. the fundamental principles and kind of the teaching of like you have to surrender that to something greater than yourself, whatever you want to call it. But that you have to admit that you cannot control this world because you can't control your addiction. And I'm like, I think so many of us can can um learn from that ideology of exactly what you're saying like realizing that you are not the ultimate defining power in anyone's life and especially your own and that um that understanding that there's something beyond us is so important for our healing
1: yeah i think anxiety comes from the fact that when you're trying to be god yeah you're trying to have that power but you were never meant to carry the burdens of this world Mm. that you're meant to give those burdens to a greater power to god And then in that power, you can take on the world. But basically, we try to take it on ourselves. So you're
0: telling a very high control, um, controlling person (laughs) to just be less controlling and to give up more, surrender more of it.
1: It's funny because I'll have people come to me now and some coaches, man, I got these negative thoughts, anxiety, fear, worry, doubt. I go, I bet you're feeling really disconnected from God. You probably had a great relationship at one point, but you're probably feeling disconnected. Like, yeah, how'd you know? well if you were feeling connected to god you would actually feel power and joy and peace and love and purpose you'd be feeling completely different so the symptoms of what you're feeling shows me that there's a disconnection and a separation yeah how can we get you back towards oneness to wholeness and healing and it's not hard like it's really simple but if we do those simple things day in and day out over time that becomes our nature becomes our life god's loving nature then becomes our love so we'll start to have a different heart different energy and a different power to us. And I know because I was the guy who was anxious, I don't wake up very negative anymore. Like there are a few days out of the year where I wake up negative. I used to wake up negative and scared and fearful and worried Mm. all the time before I had Jesus in my life.
0: So when you're, like this is a very spiritual conversation we obviously have a similar background in what we believe but there are there are people who listen to this that have no background right. in faith but but are crazy enough to listen to you know to us talk about things do you ever go into coach people that have no background in faith or present with faith and go like i want everything except for that thing like, how do you manage that? <laughs> right. you know, do you, both, so I, I want to the both John Gordon package, but you need to pull God out of it. I, I want the one truth, like, but without the capital. It's <laughs> like
1: Relationship Grit, my book with my wife, where God stands. You know, grit stands for God, resolve, invest together. And my friend said, we're relationship writ in our family. We don't bring God into it. It's <laughs> yeah. relationship writ, not grit. <laughs>
0: so how do you manage it? How do you deal with that? Do you have people who are that forward with you? Because you're very forward yeah. and open about your, who you are.
1: Very much so. Usually, in those kind of conversations, I do ask them if they have a hole in their soul. Mm -hmm. And most people will say yes. And then I'll say, well, how do you heal it then? And a lot of times I'll think, oh, it's self awareness, self love, Mm -hmm. even the love of a community. And those are all great. Like, that's important. Self love moves you away from hate, which is important. Right. Community moves you away from isolation. So that's important. Yeah. But I try to explain that we all have a, a god-sized hole that only God could fill it, hmm. and you have a wound, and I have a wound, and that wound is actually the journey of life is healing the wound. Hmm. So you show up to this world, and you have wounds, and I really believe the journey of our life is actually to heal the wound, and then to actually be able to then help others heal. Hmm. But when I'm talking to people who maybe have no faith, yeah, it's first about positivity.
0: Okay, okay, okay.
1: and it's about encouragement, and it's about yeah. tuning into the positive and getting them. Yeah. Just to start to try to re- replace those negative thoughts yeah. with positive thoughts, and start to move in in that direction. <laughs> okay. But we're, you know, like I talked to this one 16-year-old who was questioning God. He was he was suicidal, and he was in the ER two nights before. And I said, "Are, are you an accident?" He goes, "No, I'm not an accident." I go, "Well, if this world is just by chance and randomness, then you're an accident." And so I'm like, "He well, 'Well, I'm not an accident.'" I go, "Do you do you have a purpose?" He goes, "Yeah, I have a purpose." I go, "Well, if this world's an accident," and it's all about randomness and just chance, then mm. you would have no purpose. Because mm. well, I don't believe in that. That began the journey of this talk mm. of good versus evil. See, here's what I love to do. If I can get you to understand that good and evil exists, which it does, mm. once you understand it's about oneness and separation, mm. well, what creates the separation? There's an evil force always trying to divide and separate, which mm. that's what evil does. Mm. And there's a God that's always trying to unite you to himself and bring you back into oneness. Oneness and separateness, well, then, guess what hmm. that hole that you have there's this force or I should say this power that's trying to heal you versus the force that's trying to separate you, then that makes the conversation move in that direction towards well, guess what? there is evil, and there's a God that came here to actually rescue us from the evil or to give us the power to take on the evil in the world mm-hmm. okay again, that's how I do yeah, it, yeah, yeah, no, I'm not I mean saying it's, it's right, but that's the kind of conversations i've've yeah. been having that's cool
2: i I had an interesting um image coming to my mind this morning that I hadn't had in a while, because I was thinking about even like mind shift and the questions that I've gotten and will get from people saying, wait a minute, why are you writing a social psychology book? Why aren't you just writing a book that tells everyone to find Jesus? Right? Right. And because they think every book should be that. Yeah, I think sometimes, but we work a lot overseas, you know, Kim's worked in Malawi for seven years, built a school in one of the most impoverished areas of all of Africa, worked in Bangladesh creating a school for young girls who are the daughters of prostitutes, mm-hmm. give them education so they don't get sold into the sex trade and worked in India, developing women leaders across the nation, worked in Haiti. It's almost wherever there's extreme poverty or extreme need, Kim's there. Yep. And anyone with a reasonable mind knows that if you just go and tell people that God loves them and that you know Jesus has come to change their life, but they're starving to death that that message is falling on deaf ears. Right. And the humane thing to do, the noble thing to do, is to find ways to feed people mm. so that they can also hear a life-changing message. If they don't have shelter, help people have homes. If they don't have a future, help them have a future. If they don't have education, help them have education. And we tend to understand that there's a connection between the message and the methodology when we're dealing with the poor. Because we go, yeah, of course you should meet basic needs. Mm and what we don't sometimes realize is that there are people in the business world who live in this other space this entrepreneurial space and they're hungry and thirsty and unsheltered as well yeah it's just a different form of it and they're dealing with anxiety and depression and they can't make sense of it and when you help them have principles that begin to deal with that anxiety that opens them to a deeper conversation when someone's trying to solve business problems and you know figure out how to scale their company and you bring wisdom in and you help them understand how to do that more effectively that's like bringing someone water or food or shelter Mm -hmm. and it opens them up to a bigger conversation Mm -hmm. about who God is and for me to write the best book I can write from a social psychology perspective and to help people destroy internal narratives and to help people begin to have internal structures for success That isn't um, a violation of my intention. That's the same strategy of saying, I'm not just gonna bring bread to the poor. I'm gonna make sure they have the best meal in the world so when they eat, they're full, I want to know this is their value. I'm not just gonna put a straw hut over people. I'm gonna figure out a way to build homes so they can actually not just have a house, but a home. And when you have a belief that you should help people have the best opportunity in life, I think it's the same way in the world of thinking. When you have a relationship with jesus we should be the best thinkers in the world we should have greater clarity than anyone in the world and and it really disturbs me that in the performance world in the personal development world the most respected thinkers are people who are atheists or people who are scientologists or people who are agnostics and it's because so oftentimes people who believe in jesus think oh i'm just supposed to talk about jesus right i'm not supposed to have these Quote secular conversations about how to live an optimal life, how to achieve your optimal capacity. And I think what you do so oftentimes, John, is you help a team succeed. And, you know, I don't think football is being played in heaven, you know, but you help people succeed playing football on earth. And that season won't matter next season. That game won't matter ne- next week. It's a very temporary experience, and yet it matters to them. Mm. And when you help people succeed in what they're aspiring toward, it opens them up to deep conversations about what it means to be
1: human what it means to be alive and who jesus is so good and that's why your book is so important and that's why i'm, I'm so glad you wrote it because yeah it's not a book about jesus but it's a book that's going to bring so many people in the business world to you in this message and then they come to hear Irwin, and next thing you know they go oh he's sharing a story about about jesus or about love or about faith and they didn't know they needed it but then they Hear you, and they go. I needed it because mm-hmm. the soul knows before you do. Yeah, mm. the soul knows you need healing before you actually know you need healing, and they know they're needing something, but they're not quite sure what it is. And then they hear it, and as someone who's written twenty-eight books, and maybe two are overtly faithful books, mm. <laughs> I'm that person that's been out in that world, as you mm-hmm. said, and speaking, tell people to be more positive, and they know they need to be more positive, and then from there they go, okay, this is this is helpful, but. They come to a point where they realize they need more. And so then I try to share more. Or I have them listen to your dad. And I say, <laughs> I say, okay, I can tell you this, but I think Irwin can tell you this a lot better. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I have sent a lot of people that have, have. that have met me in the business world. Yeah. And then I send them to your dad to listen to him. And they go, Wow, this is awesome. And it opens it up in a new way. And I realize what God was doing all these years ago when he brought us together back in the day made me listen to your sermon was so that we can even impact people now all these years later which is which is so cool but just love them first yeah like like not having an agenda like when i yeah. meet people my agenda is not i'm gonna bring you to jesus yeah that's yeah. it i'm bringing this person <laughs> to jesus i'm bringing them to jesus yeah no i'm just gonna love you and i'm gonna yeah. invest in you yeah. i'm gonna have a relationship with you and guess what if you find the way there then great but along the way you'll at least meet someone who loves Jesus and loves you and you'll feel that along the journey. And no matter what, that love is what, it's eternal. And then if they come to believe in Jesus, great, but that's not my mission when I meet them. That's amazing.
0: Well, man, I just want to say thank you for jumping on this podcast. I think this this has been. I think we've been going for like a little over an hour, and it's just been so. I'm fun. so excited. I actually love having guests. I I'm so <laughs> glad. I'm glad I
1: didn't ruin it for everybody no, else in the future. This is amazing. Yeah,
0: Yo, you're 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 like the you know you're like you're third in the lineup, and you're like you're the you're the home run hitter. Uh, um, I, no, I I was nervous episode one I, I stacked it with Jake Goss our brother law I was like he can't hate Jake there's no way you hate Jake and I <laughs> Jake's brought in, the best I brought in a curveball for, for episode two and then you for three is like genuinely you're Justin Turner in this lineup okay uh, so thank you so much for joining us thanks, thanks for you, having me thanks for the same time and, and I'm just do a little commercial for your book is, is that okay I love you guys yeah if you okay. want to that's yeah cool. no so if if everybody listening and watching on the YouTube we're so grateful you guys tune in each and each and every week that we actually do this we're doing this more consistently now uh, but please go and check out John Gordon's uh, newest book, One Truth, on Amazon. Do you have a website? Yeah, GetOneTruth.com. dot get com. So go check it out, go buy it, buy one for your friend. It's honestly, it's a great book. I gave it to the person that I was staying at in their their house in London, and I left it for him as a gift. And and it's one thing I know about John is that he's one of the most authentic people I know on this earth. And go check out this book and go buy, we'll buy one and two. And then also go pick up MindShift, pre-order it. By the time this episode comes out, the book will have been It'll out be for out. a week. So we are so, so, catch up and so thank you and if you bought it. <laughs> and if you haven't bought it, you better buy it buy it. So, Can I say something about mind shift? Yeah, absolutely. It's
1: an amazing book. It's an incredible book. And I've read just about every one of the books you've written. And this book is just really special. I love your books on Jesus, but but this book is just really special. It's so easy to read. I read it in literally a day. Mm-hmm. And so your mind shifts changed my life. And I believe this book's going to change a lot of lives. Mm-hmm. Thank you, John.
0: I love it. All right, guys, we'll see you guys next week. Right. Thank you so much.
1: Thank
2: you guys so much. And thank you, John.